This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Hi and welcome to Gotham TV Podcast, the unofficial podcast about the TV show Gotham and the connected DC universe. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi, I'm your other host, John. And this week we're talking about episode 5 of Gotham, Viper. Viper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really good episode. So uh, let's, get into, uh, let's get into our news to start off with. Okay, there's not really that much news this week, but we do have People's Choice Awards in the USA. We don't have these over in um, the UK and Ireland, so to speak. But it's great news for Gotham because it has been nominated for Favourite New TV Drama for Gotham. And Favourite Actor in a New Series is Ben McKenzie. Yeah, yeah, really good. Uh, really good for both that. Uh- and I think Oswald Cobblepot, no? No, unfortunately he wasn't nominated. It's um I, I think because he's Ooh. considered a supporting actor, there's no best uh, supporting actor in a new series, I think, uh this year. So I presume he'll be he'll be nominated next year. Yeah. Uh, I would well say. let's hope. Yeah. It, it's interesting. They've obviously chosen Ben McKenzie for this because he is the lead character on the show. Um get out there and vote. We'll pop a, we'll pop the link for the for for the voting for um for our listeners in the US uh, to vote in the People's Choice Awards. Uh, I think they're they're voting continues for the next week or so. Uh, so get on there and vote for both of those. Yeah, so that's great news. Um and then a bit of repeat news for for <laughs> those of you who didn't listen all the way through to the end of the podcast. Who doesn't listen <gasps> to the end? Ah, oh, shock horror. <laughs> um we had a little bit of breaking news klaxon action. Yes. A little, that's a bit of a tongue twister. Klaxon. Breaking news Claxon action yes, um, at the end of uh, last week's podcast because there was news that we will see um, a intergenerational Scarecrow, um, in a sense, mm-hmm. come to Gotham. That the Scarecrow will be coming to Gotham. Yeah, it was. It was actually completely confirmed. It was. Uh, John noticed the news news story just after we'd uh, we just while we were recording last week. Um, I hadn't actually read it at the time, so I've read through it, and it's, it is a confirmed piece of news that he's coming to the show, um, and that his his father will be involved. Um, so, yeah. So basically, Jonathan Crane will be around uh, Bruce's age and Selena Kyle's age, mm. but that his father will have this mantle of the Scarecrow. Yeah. So that this Scarecrow will almost be a um, will be passed down. It will be intergenerational, as we were saying, um, through. Um, through this series, it adds an extra dimension to the character's origin. And maybe this is one of the characters that Danny Cannon, who was talking about you know, the back catalogue of the DC characters in the Gotham universe, in the Batman universe, and was surprised how many didn't have backstories or full backstories mm-hmm. and origins and this could be one of those such characters. Yeah, I think the point I was making last week um, regarding it was that we have actually seen a, an origin story for uh, for Jonathan Crane in uh, in uh, Batman Begins, uh, and the character appeared in all three of Nolan's films. I think he's the the only villain that's appeared in in more than in multiple films. I think. Um, 
so it's really interesting that they that they choose him to have a backstory uh, on Gotham. Uh, an interesting idea. I think the the uh, the point that Danny Cannon made in the interview. I think it was, was it Bruno Heller or Danny Cannon. Maybe the point that he made in the interview, though, uh, regarding this character, was that uh, that he wants to have a note a known villain um, for the series and and a villain for Jim Gordon. And this is an it is a good way to do it is to have his father be the villain for Jim Gordon and the son potentially being the villain for Batman in the future, which I thought was quite an interesting point. Interesting. Yeah. So by extension then, Oswald Cobblepot isn't a villain of Jim Gordon's. Potentially he may be, yeah, in the future. Um, yeah, okay, no, that's interesting. I just assumed always that whilst Jim maybe doesn't know it, that Oswald or the Penguin is his nemesis. It's just that he's a very good manipulator of people He's a snitch, he's kind of squirms his way, tries to develop those relationships for him to get the best out of. Mm-hmm. But in a sense, there's a, a nemesis there, but maybe Jim just doesn't realise that. So it's interesting to hear then the, the creator talk about having a, a much more um, defined sort of out-and-out bad guy kind yeah. of thing, not necessarily a, a more nefarious or um, sort of bad guy like... Oswald Cobblepot is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's definitely an interesting concept, and I think I don't know whether he was saying ex- an exclusive villain for for Jim. It looks like he's trying to build up some kind of rogues gallery, I suppose, for Jim Gordon, which you'd need for a series as long as this is going to run. Um, but uh, but yeah, quite interesting, and and that is confirmed. Uh, he's going to appear. So I'm, I was I was quite interested to read it after I'd uh, after I'd made my comments last week on last week's episode. So here's some new comments for you. All right, so that's the news. If you want to give us any feedback on the news. You can contact us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. I think then on to the review. So this week's episode was Viper, uh, written by Rebecca Perry Cutter and directed by Tim Hunter. Uh, Rebecca Perry Cutter was a writer on The Mentalist, um, okay. which is Bruno Heller's other show. And Tim Hunter has been a, a regular director of episodes yeah. for many, many TV series from everything from um, from Twin Peaks up to Glee and American Horror Story. So he's worked a wide gamut of TV shows. Yeah. Uh, interesting to have him on here. Do you want to give us a synopsis of the show? Yeah. In the aftermath of the Arkham vote, Moroni seeks to push his advantage over Falcone by hitting his grand casino, the jewel in Falcone's empire, with inside help from Oswald, who has revealed his past to Moroni, and in doing so has embroiled Jim Gordon at the same time into the affairs of Moroni. As these criminal machinations begin to play out in Gotham, another puzzle comes into focus for Jim Gordon and Harvey Bullock, as a new drug called Viper is being distributed for free onto the streets of Gotham City. The new drug threatens to plunge the citizens of Gotham into trouble, as whilst delivering a temporary high, the drug ultimately leads to a rather gruesome and bone-crushing death. (laughs) The perpetrator of Viper in Gotham is exposed to be a disgruntled former employee of a large pharmaceutical company, a man called Stan Potolsky who seeks to send a message back to his former employers and to the company's board members about their morally and ethically ambiguous military projects that Viper was a part of. Worryingly, Viper, the pharmaceutical company, and the events surrounding the drug's release onto the streets of Gotham intersect with Bruce's continuing investigation into the results of the Arkham vote and the apparent betrayal of his mother's legacy. Hmm, right. Very interesting. So what are your initial thoughts then of 
episode five viper and the, the show's really getting its stride now to be honest um really enjoyed arkham last week and uh, this this episode viper's really good um i'm loving loving sal moroni i'm loving his that whole storyline with with uh oswald i'm really liking the fish storyline as well at the moment and um, that's really good and i can see that the uh, the whole piece with Bruce and Alfred where they're starting the investigation is, is really, really good. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, probably a bit of a, a set-up episode for a lot of stuff that's going to happen yeah. in the future, which we'll obviously talk about. Um, but I really enjoy a set-up episode like this where they explore the characters. I think that's pretty good. How about yourself? No, I agree. I think it's very much a set-up episode, but it's a set-up episode that is really well done. It's actually quite a simple through storyline of Viper, but it seems to connect in with this whole wider universe now of Wayne Enterprises, mm. which is an intriguing addition. Absolutely. I think it sets up a lot of other different subplots surrounding the whole Moroni and Falcone, um, particularly for Fish Mooney and another player within Falcone's gang. So all these are all nicely teased out. And Viper and the drug and the the guy behind distributing this onto the streets, you know, has got that cachet of Viper equals potentially venom as we hear bane so this idea of really bringing in an incredibly well-known character now given the dark knight rises absolutely um and setting that up within sort of wayne enterprises and its subsidiaries which i think is a really a, a nice little bit of complexity added to the whole storyline so yeah, as you mentioned, a lot of people know the character of Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. Um, what they probably don't know if they if they haven't seen the old Joel Schumacher film, Bane runs on a drug called Venom. Um, he essentially it's been he's essentially become addicted to it. He take he has to take it all the time to keep up his powers of being super strong. Essentially, something that wasn't brought into and Christopher also, Nolan's films. No, and but also that he's in huge amounts of pain, mm. and because of this and Venom helps to relieve that pain as well. Yeah, yeah, I think... To in, an extent. Yeah, yeah, I think in the comics and, and in uh, in Tim Burton's film, it's very much this is what gives him his power more more, the, more so than the uh, than it's what takes away the pain. I think Chris, Chris Nolan really uh, focused on that. You saw the character of Bane essentially snorting an aerosol of uh, occasionally unnamed of what it is, but that's what takes away the pain for... Uh, that that Bane is in. That's why he's what he why he's wearing the mask essentially. But um, it wasn't delved into too much detail. So essentially, when we say that, what when John had said that the drug Viper, there are uh, allusions to it becoming Venom, and that's connected to the Bane character. That's essentially what yeah. It's about. kind of a a a prototype of Venom almost, um, a version one, um, in some various dubious experiments being conducted by a pharmaceutical company. Speaking of Viper, we get to see this to begin with, um, where a busker called Benny, um, homeless, sort of busking away, playing his guitar. Mm -hmm. Great little sign, which I'll, I'll let you talk about. I know you had, had spotted that. <laughs> you liked his it. honesty, didn't Absolutely, you? Absolutely, <laughs> I just love it. Why lie? I need money for drugs, <laughs> which is just hilarious. <laughs> and he gets drugs, in uh -huh. fairness, um, as a, a vial of uh, green liquid with um, a pharmaceutical uh, snake and, and wings and with the phrase breathe me um, on it is 
deposited into his guitar case mm-hmm. uh, by a man who we see on the other side of the road walk over and drop it into that case. Yeah. Um. So really good touch in this scene also is that Benny's wearing a T-shirt that has the word "Don't" written about sixty times over the T-shirt, which is <laughs> which is as an audience member what you're what you're saying to him. Don't do it. I know it says "Drink me." I know it says "Breathe me" on it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I just love that's all written all over his shirt. I think that's very funny. And he. But of course it. he breathes it. Of course he does. And yeah. um, we then begin to see that he gets a high. He presumably breathes it again. And we get transported to him essentially holding up a convenience store and a grocery store on, on the corner. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he essentially gets superpower from this. He gets super strength. Uh, pulls the the uh, ATM out of the wall. Um, drinks a lot of milk. Drinks a ton of milk. Um, He's got milk. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, the the grocery store owner calls him Zeus, essentially, because he, he looks like he's a god, is, is the way that he describes himself. Yeah, he uh, says, do not vex me, mortal. Um, yeah. You know, which yeah. is an odd thing to, to say, is this drug seems to give illusions of grandeur, I suppose, um, or... And, that feeling of being above everyone else, even just with regards to the whole strength that you, know, you puny humans are supposed yeah. to steal from um, a large blockbuster. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know he's, but he's drinking a lot of milk as mm-hmm. well, which. But a lot, again, I like the munchies kind of thing, but it's <laughs> yeah. actually with milk. Yeah, I like the little touch here that he's called Zeus. Zeus is a character that's not only from mythology; he's also in the DC comics. Um, in the New Fifty Two, actually, he's been uh, he's been set up as Wonder Woman's father um, in, the, in the new version of her storyline, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just calling out, you know, the, the fact that the, the person calls him Zeus and chooses that particular uh, particular name. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, but yeah, this sets off the investigation. Uh, which I love as well, Harvey Bullock's line where he's he's essentially, but we're homicides, you know, yeah. what do you mean? He he was high and, and so on, but we're homicide. It's a great little line. This one here. All right, nobody dead. We're homicide and it's lunch. So have a good day, sir. Call 911 and someone will take good care of you. Yeah, classic. Uh, I've been seeing the meme go around on Twitter for weeks now. Finally understand the uh, the the picture of Harvey going, but it's lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not only are they the homicide unit, nothing to do with narcotics, but it's also lunchtime. Um, and they've just had a great little um, burger, hold the pickle, mm-hmm. all this kind of going going on. And um, we get a very fleeting glimpse of the young Selena Carl yes. to her usual tricks of pickpocketing. Yeah, um, and disappearing. And yeah, vanishing really down the alley. Um yeah, yeah, just just completely disappearing through and right in front of Jim's eyes, which I just thought was quite cool. Uh, but again, Jim being the only honest cop in uh, in Gotham, of course he's going to go and investigate this crime, um, despite the fact that there's no murder, uh, and and against Harvey's wishes, which I think is quite interesting. That it's really really good. Um, so yeah, they go after Benny. They track him down to a sort of an old warehouse, yeah. um, and again, there's all this milk. Um, old milk bottles and milk cartons mm-hmm. all strewn about the place, and he's there with um, the the ATM that he had uh, nicked. Yeah. And of course, there's a pretty dreadful scene where he's running down the the street, pulling the, the ATM, which was probably slightly unnecessary. I yeah. think. Um, they'd, but they'd sure, said it's it. there. We can't do anything now. Yeah. We cannot unwatch it. <laughs> they did say it, and then uh, and then. Having to show it afterwards, it did definitely look like some caper from from Batman sixty six. Um, <laughs> but um, so they track him down, and again they 
They get into a tussle. His strength again is is shown as he's able to just fling off both Harvey Bullock and Jim Gordon. I really like that. Yeah, um, that's really good. And then he lifts the ATM above above his head to chuck at them. Yeah. But something goes horribly horribly wrong. And I, I must say, I thought the then the CG of, of this was really good. I actually quite liked it. It mm-hmm. kind of the square hanging jaw um, as his power, his newfound power seems to fail him, and all of a sudden he's obviously got a two-ton ATM above his head, <laughs> and the poor guy gets squished. Yeah, must have been his bonitis. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, the only thing I have to fear is my Bonitis. <laughs> I love that from uh, Futurama. Futurama. Sorry for you non-Futurama fans out there. It's, uh, it's definitely one of the favorites. Um, so he does give him the uh, he does give him the tip off as to who it is that gave him the drug. He tells him it's a dealer with a mangled ear, um, which sets them on on the path for their investigation. It's also just important to note that this um, and it kind of leads to some other really funny, really good sort of witty lines. I think from from Harvey Bullock is the idea that this has been distributed for free. There's no it's it's not a trade or anything like that. But you know, again, it panics um, the GCPD, in particular uh, Captain S. And, mm-hmm. and I love her remark that you know that well, if this is getting out onto the streets, this is going to be horrendous. I mean, again, she's just thinking of the quiet life, or what I should say, the political angle of you know this is going to cause my life a nightmare. I'm going to have to deal with City Hall, mm-hmm. the media. Uh, deal with this investigation it's going to be a nightmare whereas Harvey Bullock's view on this is well if we just do if it's just perp on perp um, action if we just allow that to happen get all the good citizens of Gotham indoors stay indoors for a while then you know voila problem solved Gotham no longer has a high crime rate I love his thinking Uh, yeah but no which is (laughs) just Sarah Essen's response which I think is very funny Um, yeah I love that's that's Harvey's plan if you just get rid of the scales in the city and uh, and Gotham will be a fine place Uh, and the way you do it is just make sure to get all the druggies off the streets and get them uh, get them addicted to this Um, yeah it was scale on scale action I should say rather than perp on perp action (laughs) that's alright that's alright you can call them both it's alright so yeah, so they essentially track down this drug with with the help of Edward Nigma, who explains what the drug does. Essentially, the reason why everybody's going after milk is because it takes all the calcium out of their bodies, uh, giving them extra strength, which I think is quite cool um, and a nice little use of uh, of Mister Nigma there. Uh, Ed Nigma kind of makes the point that this requires high end facilities mm. for its manufacture. This isn't simply um, a street lab or something like this. This requires some fairly sophisticated bits of um, equipment and they decide to look at the possibilities of pharmaceutical companies um, being involved at least as an initial point and we get introduced then to Wellsine uh, Pharmaceutical mm-hmm. which was mentioned along with Quillen Pharmaceutical and I think there was a third as well. Yeah. So yep. we've heard this name before and here it's back again. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's uh, it's quite an interesting an interesting uh, concept and essentially the head of Wellsine comes in very quickly even before they've started their investigation but she she comes in immediately and says uh, we have no involvement in this, <laughs> which is a, a great little lawyer move to to cut off the police and just say, look, uh, there's no involvement at all. And then Harvey and Jim mention the man with the mangled ear, and she that obviously pulls her up to a stop immediately, and and they realise there is actually a connection with, uh, yeah, 
with that, this guy. That he, that he was a, a former employer. But mm. what other thing do we learn about Wellsign Pharmaceutical as well is that it is part of the Wayne Enterprise mm. group of subsidiaries, companies, whatever. Um, so there is this sudden connection to uh, Wayne Enterprises, but yeah. importantly to the board and also then obviously back to Wayne Manor and um, the orphaned Bruce Wayne. Mm. And the episode actually starts with Bruce Wayne continuing his investigation of his parents' murder, but also now it appears the events um, following the Arkham vote with the mayor, um, this notion of Falcone and Maroney and how they were so... Um, influential within this deal even though they're kind of mobsters and represent the criminal underworld how they were such a large part of this deal to um reinvent and redevelop the arkham district of gotham yeah i really like how this kind of shows off bruce bruce's investigative side um essentially with his cork board and his collage much like uh, Penguin's collage a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this one essentially is his, is, his, is his cork board where he has all the news stories related to Arkham, all the, the mob war stories. But one of the pieces that we kind of picked out from the, the collage on the board is that he's already made the connection between Falcone and the mayor. He's already uh, made the assumption that the mayor is corrupt and that uh, Falcone is the one that's, that's ordering him around. For 12-year-old boy, he's a pretty good investigator, isn't he? Yeah, and but that's the, the two pictures are, are next to one another and yeah. he's got more newspaper snippets saying about the Falcone and Maroni mob war mm -hmm. uh, going on. But absolutely, really um, clever young man. Absolutely, absolutely. I love, you know, again, Alfred points out that, you know, he doesn't want, what, what's going to happen if he doesn't find his parents killers? He's not going to be able to take revenge on them. And um, Bruce's line back to him essentially is that he wants to understand how Gotham works. He's not looking for revenge. He doesn't understand without laying it all out in front of himself. He doesn't understand how Wayne Enterprises could be involved in something like uh, like Arkham and how they can be involved in the vote and with them involved. How they would ultimately bring in mob bosses into um, dishing out these deals and, and these contracts for developing Arkham. Yeah, absolutely. And he gets the direction from Alfred that his parents didn't conduct business like that, so there must be something else going yeah. on. Yeah, like I love this idea that Alfred... Had this moment within the episode is very much, you know, this is a waste of time. What are you doing? Um, you know, you're a young, young kid. Um, what is this? What if? And he says, what if uh, this is just a bloody waste of time? Um, and I love that turn of phrase from from mm. Alfred. He says it's better than grilling yourself like a pork chop. Um, <laughs> in reference to him having his hand over the flame, I think from back in episode two, yeah. the Selena Kyle episode, um, and um, I think it's a really nice and important little relationship dynamic here uh, between Alfred uh, and Bruce. It's still Alfred finding his feet, knowing you know what is it that the young Bruce Wayne wants to do. Is this right for him to be? seemingly slightly obsessed and going down this route is yeah. it a morbid obsession um you know and he kind of threatens to, that it should all go into the fire um further down the line fantastic detective work i still however want to get the whole lot and chuck it straight in the fire don't want to put anything in the fire alfred that's an order right master bruce yeah so here bruce has just given alfred an order um essentially he's told him 
don't put it in the fire. Uh, it must be interesting for, for Alfred as a, as his carer, essentially taking orders from Master Bruce. Um, but yeah, quite an interesting uh, interesting turn now that Bruce is, is definitely taking the lead. He's now the man of the house. Uh, and yeah. he's treating Alfred as a servant. Like uh, I, almost. Yeah, I found it quite brutal when he said, that's an order, don't throw it in the fire, that's an order. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. But suddenly again counters this relationship dynamic again of you know is it kind of mutual kind of respect almost like a surrogate fatherly figure or is it a master servant relationship Mm -hmm. i also then thought orders you know alfred is coming from a military background that he's used to being ordered you know quick march left right all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff attack crawl whatever fire and um, you know loads about army orders <laughs> <laughs> yes I, I would be great Clean under intense tree. fire in the field um <laughs> but it would um you know that it, it is a real pivotal moment in mm-hmm. in that relationship i think there. so i yeah. think so um you know essentially a couple of episodes now bruce has been kind of cowering a little bit behind alfred i suppose because he's lost his parents obviously he's He's still dealing with that, with those emotions. But now you can really see him taking on the mantle of a leader uh, of this partnership between the dynamic duo of uh, of Bruce and Alfred. Um, it's quite interesting that that Alfred will take a back seat and allow him to give these orders to him. Um, yeah, yeah. There is a, a Wayne Enterprise event. I think Alfred calls it a luncheon. Mm-hmm. Um, that Bruce kind of wants to go to because you know he again he's figuring out that something definitely was up. That there are offshore accounts there's different cover-ups there um and i think alfred makes the point is you got all that from from these like pointing to the files Mm -hmm. and um again it's that notion that this is what bruce really wants to do um in the aftermath of his parents death absolutely Um, but they then head to um this luncheon and it's at this uh wayne enterprises event that that's taking place were Bruce's investigation into the the dealings of Wayne Enterprises with the Arkham uh, district vote and the the mobsters intersects then with the investigation being conducted by Jim and by Harvey into Viper. And prior to this, we see Jim and Harvey Bullock um, track down a... I call him a friend. Don't they? Yeah, yeah, a friend, but it's a university lecturer of Stan um, of Stan Potolsky. Yeah. Because we find out, you know, Stan Potolsky, who is giving out the, the Viper uh, for free, used to work um, for Wellsine Enterprises. And they go to um, his, his friend at the at Gotham University and, mm-hmm. um, to to find out some some more uh, about him and, and what he was up to. Nice little bit of backstory here, you know that um, Stan Potolsky was a biochemist, um, but he was also into philosophy. He was involved in sort of the area of bioweapons, and that's what Viper was. It was this version two. Um, kind of a serum for soldiers to give them extra strength yeah. and, and abilities um, and that he was there creating the next version and that they name it as Venom. Yeah, yeah, and essentially that Thomas and Martha Wayne are the ones that put a stop to this to these uh, experiments and to this to this work um, because of their fear of what, what it would do, what it was doing to, to people uh, and Stan agreed with them. He's the one that took it to the Waynes and asked them to 
use their influence to stop it. So this gives us another little lead into, is this another reason why the Wains were hit or taken out because of their the pressure they put on Welsing uh, to stop these trials, essentially. Um, yeah, and so it... last week we had the, the Arkham uh, area that they were the ones that were trying to rejuvenate it and build the state-of-the-art um, facility for treatment of, of patients. And the gangs of Gotham didn't want that to happen. So that was one reason that they could have been killed. And this week, well, at it's... least Maroney. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and Falcone. And then we see in this instant then that they were slightly unsure um, and worried about certain directions in certain parts of their business of mm-hmm. Wayne Enterprises. They agreed with Stan Patolsky. Again, he went to the Waynes to complain to get this shut down. The whole morality of it, the ethics of this bioweapon or being injected into uh, human subjects all um, adds another layer, as you say, to the possibility uh, of who is behind the, the Wayne's murders. Another layer, and indeed really nice ambiguity now to Wayne Enterprises, mm-hmm. which you kind of got, say, in Batman Begins, for example, um, with... Rudger Hauer, mm. um, as the the chairman and CEO of Wayne Enterprises, you know, whilst uh, Bruce Wayne is off in the Himalayas, you get this notion and idea that you know you have this leader of Wayne Enterprises taking it down a route that his parents um, would never have allowed the company to go down. Absolutely, and you have this again here. Yeah, and it's specifically called out by uh, by the college lecturer here. Essentially, he says that. Just after they've they've died, it's gone back into production. This is what pushes Stampatowski over the edge. It's gone back into production at Wellsian. Um so he's taking out his revenge on essentially at the beginning it's homeless people. Um and what leads him to Wayne Enterprises dinner is because nobody's paying any attention to to this. Nobody's reporting on it the way he'd want them to, that it's connected to Wellsian. So he decides you know what, if we if it doesn't work, maybe you have to take out people in power, which is Wayne Enterprise. Yeah, and he has a great um, little line. He says, empty altruism won't help undo what they created. Um, you know, people will see what they really are. Mm-hmm. Um, this notion that, you know, Wayne Enterprises is now using this facade of altruism that was there under Thomas and Martha Wayne for real. Um, as a way of hiding potential corruption deep within Wayne Enterprises itself. That's how I kind of see it. What's and... altruism? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I had Says I thought... Harvey Bullock. <laughs> I thought it was funny. John didn't really like the line at all. Did you? I just, yeah, I kind of, I I didn't go with it so much. I, I kind of just liked the idea that, you know, all of a sudden this old university professor suddenly sniffs a, a load of the drug mm-hmm. and starts going ma- badass with his Zimmer frame. That, um, that was really good. Um, <laughs> poor Harvey Bullock is, seems to get on the rough end of all of these fights. First, it was the um, the hooker, the prostitute in Balloon Man, mm-hmm. where he almost gets a TV um, on his head. Yeah. Then he's being held up by the neck with the Zimmer frame by this old professor guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He gets He's... the rough end of the fighting deal in a lot of cases here. <laughs> he certainly um... gets beaten quite a lot. But yeah, this leads this leads on to the to the Wayne Enterprises dinner. Just one point I wanted to make that the rolling propaganda on the TV screens at Wayne Enterprises uh, dinner is phenomenal. <laughs> I've been to a lot of a lot of uh, publicity dinners, a lot of PR kind of dinners. I don't think I've ever seen anything where it's just constantly rolling propaganda. Wayne Enterprises brings 
um, food to hungry children. Wayne Enterprises does all this for your life. It really sounds like something out of Robocop. You know, yeah, that, yeah. That kind of, that kind of dystopian future of Robocop. There. And a really just a quick aside um, that I kind of discovered um, through Batman Earth 1, actually, mm. was that in Batman Earth 1, Martha's surname is Arkham. Oh, right. It's the Arkhams. And you have Thomas Wayne, and it is this idea that um, both families kind of developed Gotham. Right. That the Arkhams essentially thought Gotham out, and the Waynes provided the money to build the city uh, and, and all this. And this adds another layer to um, the the dialogue within the episode surrounding that it was Martha who wanted to have an up-to-date facility at Arkham mm. to help the um, mentally ill and for people who are troubled, have psychological disorders, all that kind of notion. So I don't know whether that will ever come out, but Maybe. it adds that additional level to the idea that she was so invested in this project and why Bruce takes... To an, to an extent, great offence that her vision was railroaded. Yeah, yeah. Batman Earth One has been on my reading list for ages. I'm really, really looking forward to it. I must, uh, I must read it. Um, sounds really interesting. Excellent. Yeah. So Bruce is introduced to Miss Mathis, who's a member of the, uh, who he thinks is a member of the board, and she um, immediately corrects him and says the board don't do uh, do events like this. They uh, they sit in their ivory tower almost. Yeah, adding love... to that shadowy world of Wayne Enterprises. Yeah, which is really nice. Yeah, I love Bruce's response to it, as in, well, why? They're the board. This is their job, kind of thing. It's uh, it sounds like he'll shake things up very quickly once he gets to once he gets to age and takes over the company. Yeah, and I love this idea that Bruce Wayne, you know, he's very confident it's that well i want to talk to them and um, because of irregularities that i've seen within the whole business to do with arkham uh, and how it was dealt out by wayne enterprises and and the mayor's office mm-hmm. and it, it's really good um how how that works with just this real shadowy elements yeah I yeah love it. and the start of that really is mathis she's she calls herself middle management but she seems pretty shadowy by the end of this episode she's uh she's giving guidance to Bruce. She seems very friendly with him. Um, but she's essentially the person behind uh, behind Wellsine. She's the person that signed off on the Wellsine contract. She's the person, as Bruce finds out during his investigation after meeting her. Uh, and the episode ends with her sitting outside the warehouse that Bruce, sorry, that Jim has been sent to. Um, and she's essentially talking on the phone to whoever was involved in the project, saying um, that she essentially confirming she's the one that cleared it out. And confirming that that uh, that the, they're they're investigating, but not getting close to the overall plan. Jim and Harvey Bullock have both been told to go to Warehouse Thirty Nine down on the docks um, by Stan Potolsky, who has actually got a huge faithful mm. of um, Viper, as Jim and Harvey kind of saved the whole Wayne Enterprises event because his plan was to send a message to them. Um, and to gas them with their own drugs. She's there on the phone in the car. She's seen that Jim and Harvey have gone into Warehouse 39, and it's like, as you say, she says, we'll review that if they get close. And you kind of go, close to what? Yeah. Is it Venom? Is it Bane? Is it Bane, yeah. Is it former versions of Bane? Soldier, te- human test subjects? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? Or maybe it's related to 
the doll maker from episode two. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things when you get introduced to a character like Mathis, uh, a named character who's on who works for Wayne Enterprises. Of course, you're going to look it up on the internet afterwards, <laughs> like I did. Um, so essentially, there is a character called Mathis. It's a male character, Barton Mathis, uh, in in comics and also in the Arrow, I believe, uh, who was who was a dollmaker. Um, yeah. So that is the part behind dollmaker. Remember, in episode two. They did find the two uh, the two villains who were stealing children, essentially, but they didn't find any connection to the Dollmaker. They didn't find uh, who the Dollmaker was. So is there a connection between Mathis and Dollmaker? And why are they stealing children? Are these the human test subjects? Uh, remember from episode two, Fish Mooney talks about, well, it just used to be pretty, um, mm-hmm. pretty children. And now it's just street urchins, orphans, you name it. it the, there's no... Um, there's no quality in a sense yeah. being asked of the abductions um, done by the doll maker. Um, so this potentially could be an interesting thread that Absolutely. may or may not play out. It could yeah. be linked, um, but certainly we still don't know any more behind the doll maker. And just that idea and of the doll maker about someone who creates something mm-hmm. um, could be important in this situation as yeah. well. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting theory. I, I like it. I like it. And then just one final thing is that we do see, as I said, Stan Patolsky get a face full of his Viper. And he then jumps off the building whilst uh, Jim and Harvey are there with guns pointed at him, mm-hmm. you know, telling him to kind of step down and to, to bring him in. But we see, we don't see him die. Mm. We don't see his body at the bottom of the building. Presumably, he, it's just too early in the evening to show. Presumably, <laughs> body, but. <laughs> he's just taken the viper, so it's superhuman strength, so mm. he's able to survive the fall. But he doesn't get caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stan Potolsky essentially disappears. You kind of assume he may have died mm-hmm. after the fall, but. Maybe not. Maybe Stan Potolsky, and I'll throw this out here now. I'm not entirely sure I have much basis for it. Is he Bane? Mm, Question interesting, mark. Interesting. No. Uh, yeah, no, interesting. Interesting. Uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah. But I do like the, the events at the Wayne Enterprises dinner essentially galvanize the relationship between uh, Alfred and Bruce. Yeah. Uh, essentially leads to Alfred helping out Bruce with his investigation. He's obviously seen something in the Bruce investigation that goes okay this kid obviously knows what he's talking about i'm going to help him out here the best i can which is really good yeah and just the fact that the events at that luncheon um show you've got disgruntled employees or former employees of companies linked to wayne enterprises and he wants to help his um his Master, yeah, it's Master Bruce. <laughs> Master Bruce. Um, and so they are now the dynamic duo. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting. I wonder whether they are. I wonder how far this goes. Is this Alfred simply going? I'm going to help Bruce, the young Bruce, to to go through these motions and these machinations. That it's part of a grieving process. Is it that he will now always help? Master Bruce, whenever he does some kind of investigation, mm. um, it'll be interesting to see, is this a one-off or is this the start of something that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and expands ultimately um, with, obviously, the route we know it does go, which yeah. is to um, Batman and his um, loyal and trusted and able 
Butler and friend Alfred. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a nice little kickoff point for that, definitely. Um, so kind of the, the other storyline, the other the other half of the show is dedicated to the to the mob families and, and you know what's happening with them essentially. So we've got Maroni, who essentially just wants to mess with Falcone. Um, he wants to steal from uh, from Falcone's um, casino. Uh, he's telling his right hand man to just go and do it. Uh, that's what he wants. Um, Penguin overhears and gives him the route to go and uh, to go and attack the casino. Essentially, yeah. And uh, Penguin divulges his his in, his past his, yeah. that he was um, and worked with Fish Mooney. He was in the Falcone um, group and and mob group. And you're kind of thinking, is this a good idea? Yeah. Because David Zayas plays Maroni superbly. The creepy Dom thing that he's got going on, I just think is a great, great vibe. And it's really quite scary. Um, but you sat there and Penguin's kind of like, you, you see him ruffling his feathers. He's getting quite um, chuffed with himself. That he's, <laughs> ruffling his feathers, I like it. Yeah, but you know, he, he he's kind of puffing out his chest and mm-hmm. ruffling his feathers, getting really kind of you know, this is all great, and look, I'm going to come here now and tell you that mm-hmm. I can offer you all this, and that it's, he's got confidence that it's going to be all right. And mm. Maroney just grabs his head and smacks it into the table. He's kind of intrigued, and he kind of quite likes the notion and the idea of the story that um, Oswald Cobblepot has just said, but... It's a scary moment for him because, again, he could quite easily have gone back to square one after this build-up that I kind of think, oh, is he just saying it too soon? But it transpires that he's not. But Maroney wants to get um, confirmation of this story, of who this guy actually is. Yeah, he obviously doesn't suffer fools and obviously has dealt with people like uh, like Oswald many times before. Um, So he obviously wants to get confirmation of his story. But I do like his discussion with, with Oswald about the name Penguin. Sit down. Come here. Thank you, sir. A great honor indeed. <laughs> What's your name again? Everyone here calls me Penguin, sir. You don't like that name, huh? Yeah, well, you're wrong. It's a good name. It works for you. So is, is this the reason why, he's, why he takes on the confidence of the Penguin? Is this the reason why he takes on the name and keeps it for the rest of his, for the rest of his life? Because of that discussion with Maroney where he tells him it suits you. Exactly. And the other great bit of perceptive um, brilliance from Maroney is that he kind of has this, he says um, I've got a player. There's mm-hmm. a bit of a player in you. He kind of recognises the the machinations that Oswald is capable of. That he is this spinner of of tales and stories and this weaver of almost a spin doctor in politics he would be a spin doctor yeah. he he weaves the story to his his own ends and Maroney kind of i think recognizes that mm-hmm. in him um and it's it's a really um it's a great little bit of interplay i, I love it and i think you're right i think it ultimately gives Oswald confidence in being the penguin and yeah. taking on that mantle, that moniker. Yeah, absolutely. I'm talking about a, a disturbing scene. The scene with uh, where Maroney is is interviewing Jim. Essentially, uh, gets essentially has kidnapped Jim, brought him to his, to his restaurant, and is questioning him about Oswald. 
without giving him any information at all as to what the story is that Oswald's told him. He essentially says, if you don't tell me the exact same story, both of you are dead. Yeah, yes. he puts Oswald's face on the ham slicer. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, yeah. really good, uh, intense scene from David Ayers, as you said. He's... If I don't like what I hear, yeah. slice his face. He loses Begin it slicing his face. I mean, really threatening, really scary. Again, really great from David Zayas. Really... Moroni has a real psychotic, dangerous streak behind his kind of head and don of the Moroni family. Absolutely. And again, you know, we talked about it before that, that Falcone wants to keep the city the way it is, that he's worried about the other, the, the weirder parts coming up. Um, I think Moroni kind of plays into that, that Moroni is, is a very different, um, much more unsettling kind of character. Uh, to, to Falcone I'd, I'd be hugely concerned if I was Falcone <laughs> um, I'd be hugely concerned at this person challenging me because he has no qualms about how he uh, how he takes out his enemies very much so um, so I think it's really really good and really really good storyline here with uh, with Moroni uh, I'm telling you also if I was Jim I would definitely look for a transfer out of Gotham I don't know why he's staying <laughs> uh, I know he says it's his city and this is what he's born what he was born where he was born this is what he wants to do with his life but Already. Metropolis is so boring. <laughs> I would say so. I would say so. In comparison, in comparison, it's like oh. But I mean, ultimately, um, the casino robbery that takes place um, on Falcone's casino um, is successful. It works out for Penguin, and Maroni reiterates it to um, Frankie, his right hand man, that this kid's a player. Mm-hmm. It worked, and it happened, and there's a realization and. It's something that he mentioned before, that they have now a new weapon against Falcone. And it echoes what ultimately Fish is doing um, with Liza that we saw from the previous episode, that she has a weapon against Falcone. I mean, poor Falcone, it sounds like he's been put up against um, a brick wall in front of a firing squad with all these weapons being pointed against him. (laughs) So, I mean, he's kind of potentially getting into serious trouble down the line and really there's a number of people trying to squeeze him here and of course Maroney being one but we then also see Fish developing her weapon in her club um, with Liza in some really good scenes again um, yeah she's essentially teaching Liza um, Falcone's favourite song um, which we learn later in the episode is Puccini is it from, from an opera uh, I love the scene between between Liza and Fish, where Liza calls her mom. She says, "I'm not your mother. You might be my baby girl." Um, you know, it's really yeah. really interesting. And then she goes, oh, "I'm bored. I want to get out of here," and <laughs> gets a slap across the face for it with the, "Are you excited now?" Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a great. Um, again, I think Jada Pinkett Smith here. I like her. I'm sorry, I put it out there right now. I enjoy Jada Pinkett Smith as Fish Mooney. I am loving the character. I'm loving the role within the story mm-hmm. that this character has. I'm loving her duplicity. It's just really good. We see her, you know, first off, as you say, teaching her to sing Puccini. Mm-hmm. And then we also see herself sort of um, see Fish teaching Liza sort of how to hold herself, how to speak, how to come across to people in kind of an elegant way 
manner. That idea again of theatricality, of a of a mask to to put on in certain company. In this case, it must be um, Falcone's company. It's almost slightly Pygmalion, um, you mm. know how how it's being done. She's trying to take this rough diamond and make it sparkle for her own ends. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good point. I, I think last week was a big turning episode for me with Fish. Um, where, as we as we discussed last week, where she lets the mask slip in front of Butch Gilzeem for the first time and shows you that she has been putting on this performance for everybody around her, except for Butch. Uh, when she's talking to Liza, she very much talks to her in her normal voice. Uh, it's She's teaching her, though, how to develop this mask. Uh, and I will definitely say, if, if Fish's Club was in my hometown, I'd be down there every week. I love the music in there. and <laughs> The vibe. Yeah. The vibe, yeah. We've had Portishead a couple of weeks ago. We now have Arctic Monkeys in the background during this scene with Liza, which I love. It, um, there's Puccini's um, aria as well, which mm-hmm. is quite nice for yeah. a bit of classical. Absolutely. Mixing it up a bit. She's not afraid to mix old with the new, mm-hmm. with you know the, the grungy with the, the more electro. Good club. Good yeah, club. Yeah. I wonder what drinks they will serve. <laughs> Anything you want, I would say. Yeah. Uh, judging judging by Harvey's uh, state when he when he leaves us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whiskey is big on the drinks menu. Mm-hmm. But I think her duplicity in all of this as well is really great. I'm I'm loving it. And to begin with, we get introduced to a new character called Nikolai. Mm. Russian sounding, yeah, and um, some really good interplay with Fish and himself. They obviously, when we first meet them, do not enjoy one another's company. They mm. appear not to like one another. Fish is kind of saying, "Well, here in Gotham, we have electricity, we have TV, and and cars. You know, where you're from, you, you have nothing." Nikolai kind of is retorting with, "You know, women where I'm from um, are either." cooks or or mothers um and fish retorts again a great line your mum must have been a lousy cook i love it and there's a real element of uh, bad blood between um these two and this is part of the wider falcone sort of criminal gang mm-hmm. um interesting point with nikolai russian and russian mobs in in gotham that that uh it's kind of associated with the Black Mask. That's right, yeah. Yeah, the Black Mask is a leader of uh, of Russian gangs or works at Russian gangs quite a lot. So it's, I wonder, is there a connection there between... There, there uh, could be. Between Nikolai and Black Mask, yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Or at least the Russian element of this world of Gotham. Mm. But we certainly see now that, you know, you've got the Italian mobster kind of mafioso-type element. We've now introduced to the Russian mobs. Um, who knows what else will, will come um, yeah. from that. But what we kind of see towards the end of the episode, we certainly see Nikolai tied up uh, seductively uh, on a double bed. And Mm -hmm. who but Fish Mooney is on top of him. Yeah, yeah. He he makes the point that women are either in the kitchen or in the bedroom and Fish is right there with him in the bedroom. Absolutely. And potentially with a plan C. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is... She's got a lot of plans hatched. Well, cooking... On gentle simmer, ready to to hatch. So maybe she is in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she's like... got a lot of pans on the simmer here, and um, that she's playing with. You know, she's got Liza, and mm-hmm. um, she's kind of mentioned. You know, I have a, I need to have a plan B, and um, this idea that Falcone being taken down, that she would be in the firing line there as well because she's associated with them. And now we see that she is playing 
Nikolai either genuinely uh, for both their purposes, that they're both in agreement, or maybe she's not only playing Falcone, but she's playing Nikolai, so that ultimately it's for her ends and her ends only. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like the warning that Falcone is going to get taken down um, is definitely sitting with her, and she's making her new plan to take him down herself. Uh, yeah, very, very interesting. The reason why I say that is because Nikolai actually says, sometimes I think you really don't like me, and it's this duplicity, this ambiguity with Fish. She's obviously, and the way I read it is that she is just out for her ends, and she will back Nikolai's takeover of Balcony, only then to potentially undermine him, um, to become the dominant criminal mobster in, in Gotham. Well that's her ultimate aim. But I, I, I love um I love what she's doing. I love her complexity and I love all these interweaving different story uh, mm. arcs and, and storylines within within the episodes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really really, really good. Um I do like the the scene at the end. Feels like something out of uh so it feels like something out of the out of a nineteen twenties gumshoe kind of film with uh with Falcone sitting there Puccini playing in the earphones of a beautiful woman as she walks up, which is Liza, who's been dressed up to look like his mother, essentially, yeah. hair dyed blonde, um, just to attract him. I'm telling you now, again, if someone if someone did something like this, set it all up, and I was someone as intelligent as Falcone, I'd probably see through it pretty quickly. So that woman is singing my mom's favorite song and looks like my mother. Uh, okay, who's got the who's got the camera? Um, well, you know. exactly, and you kind of wonder, you know, to this Liza is there to become a weapon to get close to Falcone and you know you think weapon so is that to assassinate him to to kill him off when he least expects it mm. is it just simply to get intel from from him uh, if she manages to keep that close relationship or is it just some kind of insider role that she she has that you know in in his gang and in his home even so that's um it'd be interesting to see how that plays out over um maybe the the season, or however many episodes, um, where where this begins to play out. Absolutely. Um. So that's kind of the whole episode. Um. Really end to end. Is there anything in particular that stood out to you? Uh, else, other than that, this was a really good episode. I think for a number of reasons. One, it had that moment where Alfred, um, starts to come on board with with Bruce, mm-hmm. and um, the relationship, um, other than the the whole that's an order kind of warms I feel I think that's an order that struck a a chord with me where you you know you don't want to necessarily be ordered round and you necessarily don't understand that but ultimately he is in the service of Bruce Wayne so it makes sense that he he would say that mm-hmm. um Bruce Wayne the young Bruce Wayne no matter what his age is ultimately the boss but then Alfred is his guardian so I'm sure there will still be further developments there but I love the start of this and that Alfred has kind of realised he needs to get involved with what Bruce wants to do. And in this case, it's becoming that investigative partnership. I love that element to it. Mm-hmm. For me, this episode had had one of the best turns so far in the season. So we had, you know, it starts out with a guy giving drugs to a homeless guy who turns, turns, uh, turns him into a Superman, essentially. Um, but you think that that's the villain of the episode. He actually turns out to be another vigilante. Um, so this is our second big vigilante of the season, and far better than Balloon Man. Um, but I think this is this is really telling. This is another person who's not happy with the institution of Gotham. He's not happy with the corporate end of it, rather than the the mobsters, or rather than the uh, the uh, 
um, the mayor, he's not happy with the corporate end of it. So he's going to take them down one by one um, to to show the world what's happening behind closed doors and what's happening uh, in, in Gotham, essentially, which I think is really interesting. It is, and it, what, what makes it more so as well, I think, is because the person who has been set up as being the incorruptible um, Jim Gordon is playing along with all the machinations mm-hmm. so far of Falcone and of Oswald even. He's kind of playing along with how the world works in Gotham and the corruption and so on. He's not necessarily comfortable with it, but at this moment in time, he's not had a big enough jolt to say enough is enough and and, and that's it, maybe. Yeah. Um, but certainly it's an interesting sort of contrast that these two vigilantes are doing something that, in a sense, we kind of thought um, Jim Gordon would be taking on that role within the GCPD. And instead, he's kind of slipped into the pattern that you would do if you want a kind of a quiet life almost. Yeah, absolutely. We, 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 when we spoke to Ben McKenzie at uh, New York Comic Con, he did mention that the character will go through multiple times of determining what's what's right and wrong and where the greys are and potentially bending his own his own rules to uh, to get the job done essentially so yeah we're starting to see that now in these in these episodes it's really really good yeah uh, and then i love the way wayne enterprises has been brought in i love that it's kind of set up the notion of venom and by extension bane mm-hmm. i love that it's shadowy and murky, the world of Wayne Enterprises, and that, in particular, these board members. I would love it if Matthias, um, middle management Matthias of Wayne Enterprises, ultimately has some kind of connection with the Dollmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, it would appear that you could extrapolate something like that. Whether that will happen, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but... If it does, I think that's a really clever connection back to episode two um, with um, Selena Kyle mm-hmm. and, and those abductions of all the kids. Um, so I really like that element as well. And again, for me, um, John Doman and David Zayas um, as these two big Don pillars, um, Maroni and Falcone, are really excellent as is Oswald Coppelbaum, as yeah. is Robin Lord Taylor. Again, these serialised elements that we are treated to each week in each episode are excellent. And what I feel now is that what's progressed from episode three and the Balloon Man, where we were maybe um, slightly critical of that, oh, yeah. is that the these other elements, like Stan Potolsky, like in last week's episode, they feel more integrated into the serialized elements, even though they ultimately end up playing episodic elements of the investigation for that week. Mm-hmm. Although maybe we don't see Stan Potolsky die, maybe he will return as a angrier, larger, stronger person. Maybe, maybe. Or maybe not, maybe he's just dead. <laughs> but for, I suppose the, the other thing for me, I think overall, hugely strong episode, really, really good. Um, the one thing that did kind of bother me a little bit about it, um, a little bad, little bad uh, thing for me, was just the number of endings. So it felt like the show ended about fifteen minutes before, uh, before the show credits rolled essentially. But there's about four different 
kind of endings. There's more endings than, than Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> so, so I just felt you may need... You, they could have taken some of those elements and moved them into the next episode. Maybe the next episode's a really big one. Don't know yet. Um, then they couldn't fit them in. But some of those elements, like, like Fish and Nikolai, like the introduction of Liza to Falcone, like Alfred sitting down with Bruce... Um, this that's three endings alone, that's all, true. all separate, and obviously the the penguin um, and Maroni taking down the casino. Um, four endings essentially. Two of them definitely need to appear in this episode. And uh, I fo- felt the Nikolai Fish and uh, and Liza and Falcone pieces could have played into next week's episode. Uh, it just felt like there was kind of stuffing a lot towards the end of the show. But that's a, a minor criticism. Basically, meant we got an extra couple of minutes of the show this week. Yeah, I mean. I didn't actually notice it, and now you mention it, I think I would agree with you. No, I I didn't really notice that. That didn't bother me when I watched the episode, but now you mention it, I can see your point, and I think I would maybe tend to agree. But I, I think ultimately I'm happy enough that the four endings are there, but I think, yeah, you could have made it, tweaked it slightly to incorporate them in... The, the following week's episode. Yep, yeah, I just think it just want to make the structure of the episode a little bit tighter for me, I suppose. Um, so that's our review of the episode. So we've got a little bit of feedback from this week. Uh, Daniel Butcher got in contact with us uh, with regards to The Balloon Man. Uh, he starts off with, sorry, detectives, I've been a little bit behind on my case files. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for releasing your interviews from New York. I really enjoyed listening to them as I jumped between trains in the middle of the blizzard. I loved hearing Sean Pertwee chiming up as he realised who he was talking to. I'm glad you guys have talked about the elephant in the room with Gotham. It is kind of corny. I really did not expect that from the show. I'm still processing that piece. The other elephant is how brutal Gotham is. And my time zone is playing in a more family-friendly era. It airs in the era before Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But I have had to make the decision of not letting my youngest watch because the show is a really bloody show. But how about that ending? Thanks very much, Daniel, for that feedback. Really, really good. Um, I suppose, yeah, it is, it's one of those ones. Balloon Man particularly was an episode that I had some issues with. Um, definitely in the corniness stakes. Uh, there's been there's one piece in the episode of Viper that we talked about tonight where the homeless guy is carrying the ATM, and I thought that was about as corny as something in Balloon Man. But overall, the episode felt a lot less corny, uh, thankfully. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, I t- definitely take the point. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, as you get through the rest of the episodes, you'll you'll start to see that it gets a lot less corny. Um, hopefully, a lot uh, that that side of it will be taken out. Um, yeah, we did mention the brutality of Gotham. Um, I don't know how it plays in the US at, at 7pm or 8pm at night. In the UK, it's on 9pm at night. So probably, as we mentioned on the on the episode with Balloon Man, it probably plays a little bit less um, less violent in the time slot that it's in. There's probably some expectation from people that uh, that it doesn't go as far as it can in that kind of time slot. But uh, but yeah, it's quite an interesting piece. Um, and I, I understand the decision of not letting your youngest watch it, Daniel. Um, particularly for that reason but again you know the show does appeal to a young age group um, considering a lot of young characters that are in there I suppose and you know the premise is it comes from a comic book so you know there will be a lot of comic fans that will want to watch it a lot of kids will want to stay up and watch it at that time slot and you know I, I do understand that that point but you know Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. before the end of its first season was moved to the 9pm time slot for an episode um, and it's possible that if Gotham continues down this path it'll move to a later time slot in the US as well so thanks very much for your feedback, Daniel. Really good of you to get in contact. Uh, one of the pieces just uh, during the episode, I popped out on Twitter. You know, overall, one of the pieces that stood out to me um, was that 
the you know who Molly Mathis is of Wayne en- Enterprises. That's the piece that really stood out to me while watching the episode. Um, Trisha Walter came back very quickly afterwards, and I'm sorry for not uh, not reading it out before the show and giving you credit for it. Essentially, um, Trisha is the one that responded that it could be Barton Mathis, the doll maker's mother, possibly. So we speculated that she had some connection with um, with Barton Mathis, Mathis, but Trisha's speculating that it, it could have could actually be his mother. Uh, in the comic books, there's quite a big connection between the father of the Dollmaker, and Jim Gordon. So potentially that character, Barton Mathis, who is the Dollmaker, and as we mentioned, he was mentioned in episode two, um, that Barton Mathis could be just starting out or perhaps his father is starting out. Um, interesting idea, Trisha. Yeah, thanks very much for your feedback. We will be watching very closely over the next couple of episodes. If you have any comments or any feedback or any discussion points that you want to, to raise with us on uh, this review and this discussion of the episode Viper or any of our previous episodes or if you've got any kind of ideas and thoughts just in general about Gotham, about characters you are more than welcome to get in contact with us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com You can also um, leave any comments or suggestions through any of our social media handles on Facebook, on Twitter on Tumblr, on Google+, and you can just search Gotham TV Podcast and, and we should pop up with our big smiley faces uh, there for you to leave loads of comments. And we will obviously pull out those and discuss them on the show. Okay, I guess we'll close out the episode. Thanks very much for listening, as always. Um, really good discussion about another great episode. Yeah, really good episode. Again, thank you so much for listening. Um, can't wait to, to be back for, for next week. Secrets I have held in my heart Are harder to hide than I thought Maybe I just wanna be yours I wanna be yours I wanna be Gotham TV podcast, do not cross Alan and Montoya. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, very interesting. And it, it's something, obviously, if, if you're not aware, I suppose, uh, we're a bit more comic fanny, um, so sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the news. If you want to leave us any feedback, you can email us at feedback at Gotham TV podcast. Dot com. Brian Michael Bendis. I got it right the first time. <laughs> okay, grand. Alright, as always, thanks for listening. Go on to iTunes and give us a review or a rating. Just don't look at me like that. I'm just closing it. Sorry. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't know what you were doing. Sorry. I don't understand. Sorry. Okay, well then, just let's close out the show. As always, thanks for listening. Uh, really good to, to chat about this episode, another great episode of Gotham. Next week's episode is episode six. God, I've forgotten the name. Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> Could be Brian Michael Bendis. I've written it down for, on sheet so we knew it was, and now I'm going to get all this out. <laughs> <laughs>